Welcome back to another episode of GEMS Podcast with Genesis Amaris Kemp, where the core pillars are to educate, inspire, and motivate. Sit back, relax, and enjoy this segment. Welcome back to GEMS Podcast. I am the founder and host, Miss Genesis Amaris Kemp, and with me today is Dr. Dawn Dalili, and here's a bit about Dr. Dalili. She is a naturopathic physician. She provides telehealth consulting to women around the country, helping with emotional eating, weight, energy, and hormone balance. She has a passion for helping women transform their relationship with food and body as she believes that our beliefs about our worth have huge impacts in the health and vitality we experience. In addition to being a naturopath, Dr. Dalili has certifications in eating psychology, neuro-linguistics programming, also known as NLP, and hypnosis. And today, we're going to talk about natural health and naturopathic medicine. So without further ado, please welcome Dr. Dawn Dalili to GEMS Podcast. Thank you so much for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. My pleasure. And thank you for blessing us with all your knowledge that we're going to unpack. But before we dive in, Dr. Dawn, I want you to share a fun and interesting fact about yourself that obviously my community doesn't know, and maybe some of your followers don't know about you. Oh, gosh. Um, fun and interesting fact. Well, I think I um, decided that I would be a doctor at the age of four. Um, I used to, well, my father was an anesthesiologist and I used to sit on his lap and watch videos of open heart surgeries when I was a kid. Um, And that was the first time I made the connection from my own pulse and then heart beating in our chest. But um, yeah, I'd say that fun and interesting fact is that this has been a lifelong obsession and, um, you know, I'm excited to bring it full circle today. That is awesome. And it's so great to have someone else in your family that's practicing medicine. So do you think that it was your dad being an anesthesiologist that jump-started your passion for wanting to be a doctor or did you already know? Um, I, you know, I mean, it's hard to say. Um, I, I come from a family of a lot of physicians and it's sort of the only thing I had ever considered until college. Uh, when I went to college, you know, so I was 17, 18 years old. And I woke up one day and went, I have no idea why, but I can't do this. And, um, I actually completely abandoned studying anything that would bring me towards medicine for about seven years. Um, I studied economics and math as an undergrad, and it wasn't until I moved to San Francisco and started practicing yoga and met acupuncturists and chiropractors and massage therapists and learned about the world of natural and alternative therapeutics that I actually had like sort of my second awakening and went, Oh, I can be a doctor. I just need to be a doctor that's focused on healing and wellness and not one that's focused on disease management. And so it was sort of, um, my awakening was twofold. (laughs) 
Nice. And I always like to go beyond the surface level there because I feel like there are people in life who they just kind of have it all figured out. And then there's those of us who go on the roller coaster ride and you try out different things just to see if you would like it and see what sticks. And then you come into that aha moment where you're like, that's what I want to do. Yeah, that's exactly what happened. <laughs> yeah. That's and it was, you know, it was a really unsettling seven years because, you know, I went from wanting one and only one thing to feeling like, well, I know that it's not that, but there's nothing that grabs me in the same way. And it, you know, then it took some time for me to go, oh, now it makes sense. And I do actually, this is nothing to do with what we're going to talk about today in depth, but I try to remember that a lot. Like, you know, there are times in life that things really feel unsettled and they don't quite make sense. And I just try to remember that moment in life and take a few deep breaths and go, okay, if I, if I just stay the course one day, I'm going to look back and go, oh, this makes perfect sense now. Yeah, that's really true because it comes full circle. Now I kind of want to unpack for our listeners and viewers Let's start with some definitions here so they could kind of understand what naturopathic is and how can they decipher that between, you know, Western medicine and traditional doctors, because sometimes people have their own views of what a naturopathic doctor is, and they may miss it. So now that we have you, who is definitely doing doing your practice, Dr. Dawn, and really helping people, um, whether you're helping them with just really getting in tune with their body and doing that inner work to really heal themselves from that inside out, plus pairing that with natural remedies and holistic practices. I really think that's important. So I'm going to let you start with um, explaining what it is and what your day-to-day activities look like. Sure. Yeah, I'd be happy to do that. So um, naturopathic physicians go to a four-year medical program, just like our conventional counterparts. Um, And the first two years of our education looks really similar um, with, you know, equal numbers of physiology, biochemistry, um, you know, anatomy and cadaver lab. It's once we get into the latter half of our training that our education really deviates. Um, Naturopathic physicians study extensive amounts of botanical medicine, therapeutic nutrition. We do study some physical medicine, though not nearly as much as chiropractors. And, um, you know, at the program that I went to in Arizona, we also studied traditional Chinese medicine and acupuncture. So when we get into, you know, like what we loosely refer to as the ologies, like, you know, gastroenterology, pulmonology, dermatology, and we're starting to connect conditions with how we treat them then, you know, we lean on natural therapeutics first and foremost. Um, Of course, I, well, maybe not, of course, but um, for those that might not know, I did study pharmacology as well. And naturopaths are the only physicians trained in drug herb interaction and drug nutrient interaction, as well as drug drug interaction. So if you're looking for a particular expertise and you, um, and you want to combine supplements, um, with your pharmaceuticals, then, you know, naturopaths are uniquely trained in that regard. But I would say aside from our kind of like the nitty gritty of our training, the thing that sets naturopaths apart 
from, um, from MDs or osteopaths and, you know, physicians that I, I just, I mean, I think the common word is traditional. I say conventional because, you know, to me, a traditional healer is like, you know, the medicine woman in the tribe, um, not the person in the white coat with a prescription pad. So the difference between naturopaths and most conventional physicians is that I am trained to see my patient as one system that is completely interconnected. And so, um, you know, if a patient comes to me with a skin condition, it doesn't make sense in my mind to think of skin as being separate from the reproductive hormones as being separate from the digestive system or being separate from what's happening with a person's adrenals or thyroids. So like from the very beginning, I'm looking at somebody globally, whereas, you know, if you go to a specialist, that's a medical doctor, then, you know, if you say I've got a rash, they might say, okay, well, here's a steroid cream, but they're not going to ask about your constipation or diarrhea or what foods you're eating and that kind of thing. And so I'd say in a nutshell, that's the biggest difference is that I, every one of my patients, I think of like your one system, every part of your body, every part of your life, every part of your mental, emotional picture is by definition related to the symptoms that you're experiencing. I like that um, because our bodies, all of the systems do function with each other. And if one system is out of whack, you have to see how is that affecting the other systems in your body. And until you really do the root cause analysis versus just trying to pinpoint a certain region or a certain system, then you're not really helping the problem. All you're doing is putting a Band-Aid on and keep and keeping it going. And then other, other problems may surface up to the top. And before you know, it, it's like, oh, I'm using this cream, I'm using this medicine and et cetera. But one of the um, myths that I've heard, and feel free to correct me if I'm wrong, Dr. Dawn, is that with naturopathic doctors, a lot of times insurance do not cover your treatments or your visits. So individuals are having to pay out of pocket versus going to the traditional um, doctor route. And it's not necessarily fair. And I think we need to advocate more if that is the case, because not everyone wants to be a pill popping woman or man that is you know, walking around with so many medications to take when in actuality, if they would just, you know, change their diet, get the proper amount of sleep, exercise, and try other remedies, they could really heal them, their bodies, because our bodies are so powerful. Yes, you're right. Our bodies are so powerful and they're so capable of healing. Um, so there are two aspects to this idea, like does, does your insurance company cover naturopathic physicians? And um, I mean, the short answer is it depends. So where I live in Montana, we actually get fairly good insurance coverage. Um, we are considered primary care physicians. And in a lot of states in the West, so Oregon, Washington, California, Arizona, um, we're fairly well integrated into the medical system that way. And, um, and you can find physicians who are either in network or can provide you a super bill for reimbursement. And I think it's worth saying that sometimes that is a double-edged sword. So um, when your insurance company covers the service, they have a tremendous amount um, of input on the type of service you get. 
And so insurance companies will often say like, we're only going to reimburse a specific amount of money, which ends up inadvertently limiting the amount of time that your physician can or will spend with you. And so, um, you know, like if you're, if the insurance company says the max we're going to allow for this service is a hundred dollars, then your physician probably can't spend an hour and a half with you and still maintain the overhead in their office. And so some physicians like myself bill the patient directly and then submit codes where you can turn, you know, those receipts into your insurance company for reimbursement. And your insurance company is likely to reimburse a portion of them, but maybe not all of them. And so I just, I wanted to bring up that, you know, our insurance companies could really benefit from some reform because when our insurance companies are very focused on disease management, it makes it very difficult for your physician to be focused on holistic wellness and work within the same system. And thank you for breaking that down and elaborating. So have you um, partnered up with any other physicians that are in the holistic space to really help um, navigate insurance reform and just educate them? Because of course, you don't know what you don't know. And I feel like they need to know more benefits about acupuncture, chirotherapy. There's the hybrid barrieric chamber. I wanted to try that out, but I haven't yet, but I've done the chirotherapy and the acupuncture. And then even um, chiropractic services, that's really good, or various forms of massages. So I haven't partnered with other physicians specifically, but I am the president of our state association here in Montana. And as president of our state association, Working with other professions is a really important part of what I do. And so it's not uncommon for me to actually sit down with um, representatives from specific insurance companies. So like meeting with agents from Blue Cross Blue Shield, or, you know, here we have um, Allegiant and Pacific Source, as well as United Health. So again, I, I recognize that state by state, some of these insurance companies might be different. But it is really at the legislative level and at the, the level of a state association to make some of these changes to help the representatives of insurance companies to recognize the value of holistic care. Um, and I'd say that the, the challenging thing about navigating some of those conversations is that it really comes down to the economics of it. And I guess that's where my benefit of, you know, studying math and economics, then, you know, it, it ends up having some, some unseen um, benefit because we can sit down and help an insurance company to recognize that the investment made up front to reverse a condition early on can save tens of thousands, if not hundreds of thousands of dollars long-term by preventing the need for a lifetime of medication or um, surgeries that could have otherwise been prevented. Mm, thank you. Thank you for sharing that. And I'm glad that you sit at that level to really help drive those conversations and kind of break the ice there, because I'm sure that there's a lot of value being added from your side, as well as value um, that they are walking away with. And when you think about um, your profession, what is one of the common challenges that you've seen from someone who has left a traditional physician and came, came over the naturopathic route? 
Um, so do you mean a challenge that like my patients may have faced that have led them? To Either or you can answer it two parts because I want to know maybe what challenges the patients has, have faced, but what challenges have you faced in the physician ram? Because I think um, it'll put some context on both sides of the spectrum. Sure. So um, when I was in medical school, I, I kind of thought that it was a joke that people would come to naturopaths saying that my doctor ordered um, a complete blood count, which is a really, I would say a, a fairly remedial level lab. And then they said that I'm totally fine. It's all in my head and prescribed an antidepressant. And as a student, I thought that can't possibly be the case that a doctor would barely scratch the surface of what might be wrong and then have the audacity to tell a person that they're making up whatever is bothering them and then prescribe a psychiatric medication. And 12 years into practice, um, I'm a little bit disheartened to report that I hear those words about three times a week. So um, it used to shock me. It used to upset me. Now I just kind of shrug and go, I, I know, and I'm sorry, but we're going to keep looking and we're going to look in deeper places and I will do my best to find something um, that explains what it is that you're experiencing and to help you balance it. So I would say that from the patient's perspective, the number one challenge with um, seeking help on the, on the conventional side is that they don't get enough time and attention and they don't feel heard and respected and honored. And so that is I think what encapsulates the experience of somebody who then turns and seeks a different kind of practitioner. And I bring that up because I would say a high percentage of my patients are not specifically seeking a natural option. Some of them are, uh, maybe 60% of them are, but I would say 30 to 40% of the people who come to me um, don't necessarily care if what I'm going to do is natural or non-pharmaceutical, but they're really seeking the, the relationship and the intimacy with a provider who cares about their health and their wellness and is committed to helping them find uh, a solution. And then as a physician, I would say what is sometimes challenging is that, you know, the world of lab evaluation is ever-changing. And sometimes I have to look at a person and say, I've looked in all of these places and I don't have the answer uh, that you're seeking, but I believe you, you know? And so I think that's one thing that's different. You know, if you come to someone like me, I would never say, oh, this, it's all in your head. You must've made this up because there's nothing wrong with you. Because I recognize that there are labs that I use every day as a physician that did not exist when I was in medical school. And so I hold out for the possibility that we can't yet find, uncover, determine everything that's wrong with a person today because the necessary lab technology might not exist yet. Mm. So that's one challenge. And then the other piece is that um, I think there's this big push for evidence-based medicine right now, which sounds great but it's a real problem for, for physicians that evidence is for sale. And when evidence can be bought, you know, by, you know, I think, I think the statistic is that 86.7% of studies um, come out in favor of whomever funded the study. 
whether that's Coca-Cola or the peanut industry or a pharmaceutical company. And so when evidence is so strongly influenced by dollars, then it's really difficult to trust the evidence. Wow, those are really big challenges and they are shocking just to hear that you patients tell you that three times a week that they've been prescribed with psychiatric drugs and we've all heard that some of the psychiatric drugs that patients get on over time it's hard to wean them off of that those drugs because their system becomes so dependent on it and immune and I've also heard and seen from whenever I was a psychology student for two years, that some of those drugs could cause patients' teeth to fall out. And it's just crazy. And then now you see that younger kids are being prescribed more with these um, psychiatric drugs. And how do you know the kid is just not being a kid and they have a lot of energy and et cetera. But now it seems like the pharmaceutical companies are pushing these drugs off to the physicians, offloading them. And physicians are then offloading it onto the patient versus really getting to really understand the patient's need and get to know them. And, you know, it's because, you know, the the time constraints that you mentioned early on, and then now with um, bought evidence, like we've known that has been going on. And some people may even say the same thing about, you know, now with the pandemic and the COVID vaccines, a lot of people don't have a hundred percent buy into the COVID vaccine because they said we've never been paid to take any other vaccine. And with this vaccine, you know, people got cruises, they got money and other things. So they're like, what's so good about this vaccine? So you see two folds here, but then I also want to talk about in your RAM, like what are some tips and tricks that someone who is interested in seeking um, natural healing and just the holistic view, like whether it's uh, essential oils, whether it's changing their diet, whether it's FODMAP or et cetera. And sometimes I don't like to say diet because it is a lifestyle choice and change. And I think when you think of it that way, you're more susceptible to keeping up with it. But obviously I'm not a doctor. So Dr. Dawn, feel free to um, reword the question or answer it as you see fit. Sure. So, um, you know, the, the question that I'm hearing is like, what do you say to the person who's sort of new to this experience and kind of going, well, how, how can I have my life be more natural, more holistic, more healthy? And, um, I think that the first thing to do is to slow down. You know, so many of us, um, we rush through our day and we, are very distracted as we do whatever it is that we do. And then we tend to cram our wellness practices into the tiny spaces in between the rest of this full day. You know, so if you're using essential oils and you sort of like put a drop on and then you're, you're rushing, then you don't have a chance to even you know, pause and smell it and like allow the aromatherapy and the experience of self-care and the, you know, like all of the elements to take their effect. And where I see this the most is with food, you know, so clearly we talked earlier, emotional eating and um, people's relationship with food. It's kind of my jam. So that's probably why I see it 
there the most, just, I want to name my bias, but so often people are working, driving, watching movies or scrolling social media or getting their kids ready for school or getting themselves ready for work while they're eating. And when we eat that way, our body doesn't fully register that we've had something to eat, right? It doesn't satisfy all of the pieces of us, which I think triggers a lot of cravings. And it also impacts our digestion, the quality of our digestion, because when we're rushing, we swallow a lot of air. We're not taking the time to chew. So, you know, you can look at it from the mental, you can look at it from the physical, you can look at it from the emotional, but across the board, if you're rushing, when you eat, your body can't work at its, at its optimal. And so what I say to people is one, slow down and two, eat without distraction. Just turn off all of the other things. Even if it's just for 15 or 20 minutes, your email can wait, your voicemail can wait, Instagram can wait, eat your meal, and then go back to your life. And you might notice that your digestion improves, the amount of food that you eat improves without feeling like you have to um, kind of artificially restrict or, or, or count your calories. And, um, and you might notice that the types of food you eat change because you actually have the chance to notice if you like or don't like what it is that you're eating. So I'll stop there and see if you have clarifying questions. Yes, I love that because as you were talking about um, tuning off the distractions, one of the tips that I've used whenever I was busy working in corporate, I spent 15 years there, is blocking off time on my calendar for those of you who have a busy schedule and put lunch. You could even put a fake meeting or et cetera, where you block off 30 minutes, 45 minutes, or an hour. So you could really sit down and enjoy your lunch and practice that mindfulness eating. As Dr. Dawn was talking about, another thing for the busy people on the go who are like me is meal prepping or batch cooking. So you can be intentional on what you're eating and if you're a snacker, because I love snacking and I'm a foodie, is replace some of those salty, savory snacks for maybe something like nutrition. There's kale chips, there's um, baby carrots. You could pair that with hummus. There's celery, just different things. Or maybe you can make your own trail mix versus buying the ones in the store. I know here, whether it's the Whole Foods Market or Aldi's or Sprouts, you could bulk buy and you can kind of pick up the things that you want and Put that in a Ziploc baggie and just have something crunchy, but yet sweet to like eat on the go. So you're not grabbing for those chips or those sugary sweets. And then that's also another way that you're slowly changing what you're, what you're eating. And then with emotions, whenever you ask yourself, am I just eating to eat? Or why do I feel the need to grab for the cookies or the chips or et cetera? what is causing me and probably just do the five, the five W's and then just ask yourself those questions. And then you could start to see why you're thinking the way you're thinking and why you're resulting to those foods. Those are just some um, tips that I would add in, but Dr. Dawn, feel free to add in some others as we begin to wind down. Yeah, that's great. I've actually, so that's an exercise that I have a lot of my patients do. Um, I will ask them for three to five days 
to keep a small notebook nearby. And every single time they want to put anything in their mouth, no matter what it is, it could be a peanut M&M or it could be a carrot stick, you know, like whatever. If, If you want to put something in your mouth, I want you to pause and jot down. What am I hungry for? Why am I eating right now? And I tell my patients that the word why is a really tricky word because the tone of voice that we use to ask the question will hugely influence the answer that we get. And so if we use our snobby mean girl tone of voice, we're like, why are you eating that? Then the answer that we're going to get from our intuition will be very defensive. And so we want to put that aside and try to get as curious as possible and just go like, huh, why am I eating right now? What am I hungry for? Jot it down. Still want to eat that thing? Go ahead, eat it, you know, because this is just an exercise in curiosity for those first few days. But I would say that most of my patients are floored when they come back in and see me or these days, right? When they log back into Zoom and see me. Um, What they find is that hunger, true hunger is usually at best seventh on the list of reasons why they eat. And um, they are very surprised to find that they often eat because they're bored or tired or wanting to avoid an activity um, that's not very rewarding or that they're being social. Like if they're with somebody that's eating, then there's a drive to eat. And so whatever the reasons are, it's just, it's really insightful to find out why, why am I doing this thing? And over time, that's usually enough for the behavior to evolve, right? Like you don't have to come in with a hammer and force yourself to make a change based on that inquiry, but to recognize that, oh, wow, my appetite isn't the problem. You know, the problem is that I'm tired and I'm eating something. So what would be more stimulating? Or the problem is that I'm bored. What would be more interesting? Or can I be social without the meal? Can can I just get some tea instead of the croissant if I'm not actually hungry? And so, you know, just to echo what you said, I think that that inquiry leads to options so that at the end of the day, we have more choices instead of more restriction, because I think that the experience of choice is critical for longevity. Absolutely. And that all, um, it all intertwines with the whole naturopathic wellness and the holistic approach, because I'm sure some of you have heard you are what you eat. So just um, keep that in mind. And then whatever you put into your system, your system, your body is going to react based on what it intakes. And then that could either cause more illnesses or it could deter illnesses, but also make sure that you're getting in the proper amount of exercise as well, because what good is having all this nutritious food, but then you're not conditioning your body and just moving so your body could be loose and limber. So Dr. Don, as we wind down, I want you to leave the listeners and viewers with your call to action for this segment. Great. Thank you for that. Um, I have on my website, if you go to dondalily.com forward slash fatigue, there is a guide um, that I'd love for your listeners to explore. Um, It is a way to help you listen to the messages that your body is giving you through the way that you experience fatigue. And so as a physician, I think, you know, when somebody says, oh, I'm tired, 
that could mean a lot of different things to a lot of people. And the particular way that you experience fatigue tells us a lot about the possibility of different hormonal imbalances or nutrient imbalances. And this guide will help you walk through some of those. And so I'd say that's a great place to start interacting. And if you're looking for something truly holistic, like not just natural, but something that will take your mind, your body, and your emotional, spiritual self into account, then I'd be excited to have a conversation with you um, about how you can move forward with a new way of holistic health. Amazing. Sorry, I had to remind myself to take myself off a mute there. So Dr. Dodd, how can um, they connect with you on social media? Sure. Um, I have an Instagram page. It's Dawn Delilly underscore indie. And um, I'm also, I mean, I do have a Facebook page. I'm on Instagram more often. So it's probably better for you to catch me there. And there you have it, listeners and viewers of GEMS Podcast. Once again, I am the founder and host, Ms. Genesis Amarskamp, and my special guest today was Dr. Dawn DeLilly. We talked about emotional eating, naturopathic as a whole, natural healing, and all things natural health and wellness so we can have you living the life optimally and not sitting in doctor's offices because you didn't do what you were supposed to to really tap into your full body health and having that holistic approach. You don't have to be a pill popping junkie to get your life back on track, but you do have to start by taking actions to secure a better future so you can have that longevity that you desire. So until we chat next time, peace, love, and lots of blessings. Don't forget to subscribe and share this segment, all of Dr. Dawn's info will be in the show notes. We are also on 40 plus platforms. Follow us on YouTube at Gems with Genesis Amaris Kemp for all things video content. And if you're interested in having your, your brand, your product, or your services heard right here on Gems Podcast, we are looking for you to be a brand sponsor. So you can find out more details at genesisamariskemp.net. And thank you so much for your generosity and your love to continue to take this mission on to educate, inspire, and motivate while intersecting and bridging the gap between diversity, equity, inclusion, and belonging. It takes all of us to make this world a better place. Until we chat next time, ciao. Thank you for listening to another segment of GEMS Podcast. Hope you enjoyed this recording. Make sure you like, comment, share, and subscribe to GEMS Podcast on your audio platform, as well as our YouTube channel, GEMS with Genesis Mars Kemp. We would love for you to be a sponsor, so please reach out via email at GEMS, G-E-M-S, with W-I-T-H, Genesis, G-E-N-E-S-I-S, Amaris, A-M-A-R-I-S Kemp K-E-M-P at gmail.com where your brand, your swag, your services can be here on GEMS Podcast.